together and let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. In our study tonight, we're going through the book of Hebrews uh, ever so slowly. And I've been hearing that for some of you newbies that are here. You're not used to doing expositional teaching and you're asking me if I'm okay. Uh, Pastor, are you going to pick it up? What's what's wrong? No, this is about it. Uh, We've been doing this for 30 years. It's how you know the Bible. It's how you get to know the Bible is you just immerse yourself in it. And it's called expositional teaching. And uh, so here we are tonight. Uh, Hebrews chapter one. I'll begin in the even numbered verses, beginning with verse four, where we're picking it up. And we'll go all the way out to verse 14. Don't get excited, but we'll go out to verse 14 and see how it goes. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. But when he again brings the firstborn, this is Jesus now, into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 12, like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. We'll end here, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits, speaking of angels, sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Father, speak to us, we pray, out of your glorious, wonderful, and as we see here tonight, deep, deep word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, yes. Yes, church, so as we're looking at this, we begin this portion of scripture, whereas previously looking at Hebrews written to those believers who had been Jews, they were Hebrews, and they came to understand in the first century era, they began to understand from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, the promised Messiah, how they came to that conclusion was that they matched the New Testament ministry of Jesus Christ up against the Old Testament revelation of the scriptures. And that is what we're supposed to do, by the way. How does somebody come to the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is in fact Christ, that Jesus is worthy of our love and devotion, and that he is in fact the very one who is your key into eternity. How do you know that? If you just read the New Testament, you'll come to salvation. Yes, of course, but you'll never have a deep 
understanding as to the mechanics and the theology as to why. Why is Jesus worshipped by us? Why is he the one that is the savior of the world? Why is he called God? Why do we even say that? Because the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New are in absolute agreement. The Old Testament announces it. The New Testament records its fulfillment. And as we look at this, from this area of scripture on, we're going to be talking now for many months, because it goes for many chapters, about how Jesus is better. Jesus is the best. Better than angels. Better than Moses. All my Jewish friends right now just recoiled it. Better than the prophets. Better than the patriarchs. It's Jesus Christ. But if you just pause for a moment, pull back, collect yourself and think that when you read those Old Testament scriptures and the Bible there tells us that the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. That it's verses and chapters that teach that in the Old Testament that many people, many Jews came to the wrong conclusion thinking, well, then he must be a human. He's, he's, he's got to be a human, but never divine. That's just, no, can't happen. That is a, a presupposition that they come with that it just can't be. That God loves us, but he would never become one of us. And they struggle with how he would save us. And that's why legalism is something very, very attractive to not only the legalists, but to those who are embracing modern day Judaism. Is uh, They don't see the Messiah as the one who pays for their sins. They see the Messiah as a political deliverer. They think that their Messiah is going to come in and free them from the yoke of bad governments. And that's nothing new, by the way. You guys remember that. Do you remember when the disciples said to Jesus, finally, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought that he was a political deliverer, but they failed to read the fullness of Isaiah, for example, and the scriptures we'll see tonight and what Hebrews is talking about, that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah and Israel's political deliverer all in one, all in one. His first coming was all about those passages of scripture regarding him being the sacrifice on the cross for our sin debt. They read Isaiah and they see the suffering of the Messiah. And because they struggle with it, they wind up saying that cannot be about the Messiah. Because what what kind of political deliverer is going to get himself beat up like that? So it must mean, and many of you will know this in a moment, that have Jewish friends like I do, they will say, that must refer to Israel, the one who suffers. Because we can't have a suffering Messiah. You see, they've missed the doctrine of resurrection. Someone used to say, maybe Chuck Missler about forever ago. Chuck Missler used to joke around and say that uh, Joseph of Arimathea's family tomb was borrowed for the weekend and uh, because Jesus's body was laid in a nearby tomb and uh, Joseph of Arimathea had this wonderful family tomb built he was a rich man he was had this great tomb and uh, the joke was uh, well this is my family tomb and maybe Nicodemus said to him at the at the uh, burial don't worry 
I, we, he, we just need it for the weekend. It's just for the weekend. And uh, it's a cute joke, but it's accurate. They didn't, they didn't equate that the Messiah would be resurrected from the dead. And yet the very same theologians of the Jewish belief would agree that Jonah's ministry was a type of resurrected Messiah, that the announcements are there, that David speaks about the Messiah who would be crucified with his holes being put in his hands and his feet. David said that. Isaiah 53 says that God would lay on him the iniquity of us all and that God's wrath would be appeased when he would see the Messiah bearing the sins of many. It's all there. And so tonight, the author of the book of Hebrews is speaking to Jews who, listen, had accepted Christ as Savior. Some of them were Jews who had or were attending church fellowships. And they had warmed up to the intellectual thought of who Jesus might be. By no means, you ought to remember this or write it down. By no means is the author of the book of Hebrews writing to Gentile Christians. Even though we benefit from it in our study, this is all about you having a priest named Jesus Christ. He is priest. He is sacrifice. He is salvation. He is the one that you confess to. He is the one that not only was, it's amazing to me. I love this. I love the legality of this. Jesus not only met all the demands of Messiah requirements, the miracles and all of that. But listen, then he taught the people of Israel the meaning of the scriptures from the Old Testament. That's why they were blown away by saying, who's this who speaks to us with such authority? Where did he learn such things? It's not that they didn't believe him. They were shocked that he knew what he was saying. Did they not even say to him, isn't this the carpenter? They were shocked. Because as the scripture says, he opened up to them the scriptures and their hearts burned within them because they saw the truth light up. Jesus did that. Of course, he was the word of God. He was talking about himself. When he opened up the word, he was talking about himself. Absolutely awesome. But if that wasn't enough, then he tells the disciples and he tells the nation, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, be raised from the dead. And that happened. And so we are grateful because he died for our sin debt. Meaning this, that you and I owed a debt to God and God's only way of getting that debt paid which he actually never, he actually never would have gotten it paid. We could never pay him. So what really happened is our souls, our spirit without Christ filed bankruptcy. Because you and I cannot pay God back for the wrong. The things that you and I have done in life or thought in life. The Bible tells us that God had a handwriting of ordinances being written against us because we were living our lives without God. And it was building up, building up, stacking up. And we had no way of paying him back. Jesus not only dies on the cross, he dies because that's where I was supposed to die. That's where you're supposed to die. And he paid the price right there for you and I. 
Technically, let's be honest, so nobody gets any wrong ideas. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all the sins of all mankind forever. Here's the problem. People with sloppy theology or cult-like ministries that they belong to think that that's what, if that's what Jesus did, then everybody gets saved no matter what. Oh, no, no, that's not true. In fact, the very, the very act of Jesus who died on the cross for your sins, he paid the debt for all sin. That is actually the very justifiable reason why a person who rejects the gift winds up in hell. Think of it. It's a double-edged sword. If you believe it's salvation for you forever, based on what? The price that he paid is so amazing. But the price that he paid that's so amazing, if you reject it, there's nothing left for you. So he died for all. The price has been paid, but not everyone will benefit themselves from accepting his offer. That's how you can have a holy, awesome God in all eternity, resurrected from the dead, and you and I being indebted to him forever in praise and worship, right? You think tonight was awesome? Just wait till we get there. And then, and then listen, that very same God that paid the salvation for all mankind when rejected, that's how you have an absolute, no reason to apologize, eternal hell for those that are there. Because he didn't send them there. He paid the debt to, to keep them from going there. Everyone in hell tonight knows exactly who's responsible for why they're there. And it's themselves. And so tonight we're going to be starting now in this study looking at having the best. Having the best. Having the best is Jesus Christ. Number one, look at it, starting in verse four, is the fact that he's the incarnate omnipotence of God. That Jesus Christ is the power of God. In his word, in his acts, in his ministry, in who he is. Look at verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels. So that's where we begin. As he has by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The word uh, name, don't let it throw you. The, the, the name uh, there means uh, position or authority. Jesus has now ultimate authority. See, Jack, this, I thought he always had authority. He's God. Yeah, but hang on a second. Listen up carefully. Notice this. Notice the title I put on this argument, that he is the incarnate omnipotence. My dear friends, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The radical, awesome difference now about Jesus is that he had been all-powerful for all eternity. But when Jesus came into this world, he came in not like an aberration, Not as a spirit. He could have. He's God. He could have come as a ghost or an appearance and then he would have faded away. He he could have come like, uh, like the force for Luke Skywalker. He could have come like the force. He didn't come, Luke, like the force. Because he wasn't about power and he wasn't about all that stuff. He's the omnipotence, which is the all power, but he's the all power to save. Yes, he's all power. But honestly, that doesn't matter to you and I. If he's the all power, how does that benefit us? Oh, because he's the all, listen, he is the all power, the all omnipotence, omnipotent to save. And so his authority transcends angels. And immediately this breaks in upon us uh, the argument, as it was then, so it is today, those that are spiritists, those that are interested in the spiritual realm. They're very spiritual people. 
Everyone knows somebody like that. They're very, very attuned to the spirit of things. Normally, what they believe is absolutely bonkers, but you got to give them credit. They're spiritually sensitive. And so many that adhere to that are very keen on angels. They got angel necklaces. They got angel uh, car uh, stickers. They got angel shirts. They got an- everything's just angel. Oh, and, and you know you can. Uh, yeah, okay, listen. The the thing is this. Know this. Jesus is better than angels. Angels are awesome, but angels are created. They're not eternal. Angels were created. Jesus is eternal. It's all about Him coming into this world in human flesh. Having become, notice the word, become, having become so much better than the angels. Please get this, everybody. Jesus, listen, because the cults use this at your door. They'll use this verse. Oh, you see the Jesus that you talk about. He doesn't exist because look, the Jesus in Hebrews 1, 4, he just evolved onward and upward into a greater spiritual creature. No, he didn't. That statement in verse 4 is all about him becoming human. Watch this. What's greater, God or angels? Yeah, listen. What's greater right now, right now, tonight? What's greater, God, angels, or humans? God. What's second? Oh, you're quiet. This is good. You are justifiably confused and quiet because watch this. In the order of things right now, right now, God, unrivaled, obviously, God. Right now, in glory, it's angels. Right? And then third, us, we're here. We're the one in the struggle. We're the one in the battle. We're the one living out and following in in this uh, world and and waiting and, and looking for Christ. But watch this. The Bible, we'll see it in a moment if I get into the message, is, is the fact that we start out down here But when we die or when the rapture happens, we're liberated. And the Bible's going to tell us, and you'll see it in a moment, where we will one day be exalted above the angels. And we will, in fact, sit in judgment of them someday when they are judged. There's a day of judgment for angels, by the way, coming, the Bible teaches us. That's why the verse right here says that having become so much better than the angels. What does that mean? Jesus was born into the, watch, God, then born into the world as a baby, becomes a human. Christ goes through his life, suffers, dies, and is resurrected. Now watch this. The resurrected one, Jesus, is God and man, the Christ man. We talked about that last time. Jesus Christ, tonight, one and only, forever, nobody else like him, is all God and all man at the same time. And he's unique, and nothing will ever be like him, ever. That God loved you enough to come down and suffer, to communicate to you, to tell you, I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like to be maligned. I know what it's like to be lied about. I know what it's like to be crucified, tortured, mutilated, misunderstood. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be abused and cast out. I know what it's like. So he can communicate that to us. An angel couldn't do that. What does an angel know about us? Honestly, with all due respect to angels because they're amazing. They don't know because they've never been a human. Incarnate omnipotence, power in human flesh is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it announces to us that he's got a greater authority than angels, we're talking about Christ, the risen Lord. 
that tonight, it's amazing. Think about it. Tonight, seated at the right hand of God the Father, is the man Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us in Timothy that there's one mediator between man and God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Anything you ever feel, anything you ever struggle with, he's waiting there for you. But he's better, greater. And he's received this by inheritance because of his obedience to the Father, even to death. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 tells us, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 says, Dare any of you, having a matter, he's talking to Christians, but it's a church at Corinth. These guys were as carnal and messed up as you can be. Listen to this. Dare any of you, says Paul, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? They were, Christians were suing Christians in that world and they were going to uh, courts, ungodly courts, to sue their brothers. And Paul is saying, are you guys sick? Are you have lost your minds? Can't you guys, you're saints for crying out loud. You have the Holy Spirit guiding you. Work it out. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Wow, did you know that? It's coming someday. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Verse 3, do you not know that we, will, uh, that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? The Christian, listen, right now, everybody just get this under your belt. It shouldn't be a shockeroo. But here's the deal. A Christian should be somebody you can go to, trust, and, and depend upon. And they should speak wisdom to you because they're a Christian. Period. The Christians in the world should be the wisest people. Wisest. I didn't say the most intelligent. Listen, some people got super brains. But Christians have, you know, you can be a Christian and have a super brain. But I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm talking about wisdom. The world does not have wisdom. The world's got a lot of knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. You can be a country bumpkin, never have gone to school in your life, born again believer and have profound wisdom. And you can be a Harvard graduate in something or other and, and not even know how to work a doorknob. <laughs> Seriously. You got all the smarts on paper, but you don't know how to live life. You don't know how to do it. You're a genius, but you can't figure it out. And then somebody comes along who's been touched by the Holy Spirit. And uh, they've got it. They, they, they open their mouth and it's like, oh my goodness, I could listen to that person talk all day long. You know, it's precious. You, you know, I don't know, it used to be true in this region of the world, not so much anymore, but do you know anybody who's uh, of the earth, of the soil? Do you know any farmers, growers? Dairymen, people who get out there and, and work. You know what? There's, there is something about people who are exposed to that world that, it, you know, some people, I guess, call it horse sense. I think it's much higher than that. There's just something about it. And you think about what it takes. Have, if you think, if you doubt what I'm saying, go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy a little pot of tomatoes and try to grow it. Try to grow a little garden. And a farmer up north from here will grow enough food to feed the entire United States. How in the world does that happen? They, they know stuff. And they have to rely upon God. They got to they gotta trust God with the weather. 
And they got to trust God for the crop. They got to trust God for the harvest. It's pretty amazing. And there's wisdom in that. God says you've got wisdom. And you've got understanding. And know this. We go straight to Jesus because all power is available in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure in there somewhere is the wisdom of God. The believer gets to ask God for wisdom. The unbeliever doesn't get to do that. Number two, we look at this as the fact in verse five that he's the incarnate omnipresence. He's all powerful, omnipotence, and omnipresence is everywhere. Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, the the Godhead is everywhere. Now Christ obviously, when he was on earth, was limited in his body, but the Holy Spirit, think of it now, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, everywhere. David said, the psalmist said, I cannot go anywhere. I cannot flee. I cannot go to the uttermost parts of the ocean or space or down into hell itself without his spirit being there. Think about that. You want to run away? You want to run away from God? You can't do it. He's everywhere. Look at verse five. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This is an amazing statement. Church family, write this down because this, this starts to go amazing. In the, in the verses of, from 4 to 14, it's like a machine gun of Old Testament passages just laid out. Are you ready to write them down? You want to write them down? Are you guys okay? Everybody? Okay, watch this. This is part of you having the best in Jesus Christ. His omnipresence. When verse 5 tells us, to which of the angels, this is a challenge... In other words, did God ever tell any angels in the Bible, you're my son, today I have begotten or glorified you. And again, another passage, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, everybody think about this, especially our Jewish friends tonight. That's an Old Testament, two Old Testament quotes. Anywhere in the Old Testament, church family, listen, find me somewhere in the Old Testament when God calls angels his son. And tells them the son, I'm your father. You're not going to find it. Search as you may. This is one of the greatest arguments from the Old Testament. That Jesus Christ is God Almighty. The son of God. God says in the word, there's a day when I announce, this is my son. Today I have begotten you. It's regarding his incarnation. Him coming into the world. It's awesome. I'm, I kind of get goosebumps thinking about it. I, I am more sure about who Jesus is than I am about the lineage of my last name. I don't need to go to Ancestry.com. I won't, I won't believe it in whatever it says. But this one thing I know, Jesus is the Son of God. And He's the Lord and Savior. And the evidence to believe that is absolutely overwhelming. The book of Hebrews, if you don't know, is a New Testament book. Well, listen to this. Remember, this is all regarding verse 5. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train, or the glory of his robe, filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim, and each one, these angel, angelic ranks of angels. And each one had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew and one cried to another saying holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full 
of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. The omniscience or the omnipresence, I should say, of God. Keep this in mind. Watch this. Daniel 10, verse 12 and 13. Daniel 10. Then he, the angel, speaking to Daniel, said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Notice, Daniel prays, and an angel is responding. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. This angel is talking about other angelic and demonic powers that are in the atmosphere. Don't think the kings of Persia. Those are not earthly entities. Is that awesome? I thought you'd be excited about that. <laughs> Daniel, look, Daniel, when you started praying, God sent his answer. But I couldn't get for 21 days. I couldn't get to you. This is an angel talking to him. 21 days I've been battling to get you the answer. But these demonic powers in the atmosphere were fighting against me. And Michael had to come and beat him up. (laughs) Remember I told you about Michael. You don't mess with Michael in the Bible. The great archangel. He's in a fight. Every time he shows up in the Bible, he's fighting. He's awesome. He must be ripped. He's going to be, you're going to see him someday. Daniel, Daniel's going to see him later on in, in, in the book of Daniel. And Daniel said when he saw him, he was completely sick. He was absolutely sick. He was sick for many days from looking at Michael. No, seriously, he was sick. He said he he couldn't, he had no strength in him for many days. I want to see an angel. I want to see an angel. No, apparently you do not want to see an angel. Man, can you imagine though when people die, when people die without Jesus, what they see? Can I freak you guys out? I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But uh, actually, I, some of you who go to, I, Lisa and I went to a movie. And many of you were already in the theater when we got there. And, and uh, we, we saw this movie uh, called The Quiet Place. And don't see it. <laughs> uh, if you don't know the, actually, if you don't know the Bible, you're probably fine. But when this, when this thing showed up from outer space in the guy's cornfield, uh, immediately I knew where to go in the book of Revelation. John said, I saw these things coming and they had bodies like a locust or a scorpion armored. They had teeth like lion's teeth, but they had a face like a man. And they had a hair like a woman. Lion, think of, a, think of the teeth of a lion on the face of a human, or face of a man. John, John said, look like a human, but he had teeth like a lion. And it was armor coated. And it was like a scorpion, kind of like a, like a, uh, John's trying to describe something that comes out of the bowels of hell after humans. Hollywood wants to make stuff up that they're uh, flying saucer things. No, they're demonic things. The Bible out. The Bible talked about this two thousand years ago. It's demonic, and those are fallen creatures. Think of the glory 
of Michael or Gabriel. Wow. Incredible. But angels are limited. They're, not, they, they're localized. God is everywhere. There's no place where you can be where God is not there. Ephesians 3 verse 10. The intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers. See those words, everybody? Principalities and powers. Those are ranks of angelic creatures. Principalities and powers. So look at that verse again. The intent of God is now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Wow, listen. God is telling the church stuff and principalities and powers are learning from it. Principalities and powers in the heavenly places, spirit realms, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you see the order of things? There's God, there's angels that are somehow highly involved in this playing field of life and of this universe. And then there's us created in the lowliness of what we are, fallen humans. And yet there's this angelic spirit presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 says, For I think that God has displayed us, said the Apostle Paul, the apostles last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. I wonder what the angels think when they look at the ministry of this life. It's got to boggle their minds. And I wonder how, what they think about us doubting God's word and doubting God at times. I wonder if they get impatient. I know, I know that they must get impatient because do you remember the angel that was going to kill Balaam? When Balaam was riding his donkey and the angel stood in the way to stop him from going on his bad mission he decided to go on. And the donkey saw the angel standing there. But Balaam, he's probably looking at his phone or something. He doesn't care. He's <laughs> looking down and the donkey stops and he kicks the donkey. Donkey won't move. The, donkey, the Bible says the donkey saw the angel. And this is the greatest, one of the greatest things ever in the Bible. I'd love to see one of these this moments. Spielberg should do this. Balaam gets off, he starts kicking the donkey, he starts beating the donkey, and then he says, you stupid donkey, you, and he beat, and the donkey says, the donkey goes, wait a minute, haven't I been a good donkey to you all these years? And he's actually yelling at his donkey, and the donkey's saying, look, and then the angel says, if that donkey wouldn't have stopped, I was going to cut you in half. I, I just, amazing. But Christ is better. But he's better. Jude, chapter 1, verse 9. Jude 1, 9. Yet Michael, the archangel Michael, in contending with the devil, Satan, when he disputed about the body of Moses. That's creepy. When Moses died, Satan tried to steal Moses' physical body. Satan came to take Moses' body. What did he want Moses' body for? Michael came and contended with Lucifer over the body of Moses. 
wiggle in that the possibility of false doctrine? Would he, would, have, would, he, would he have animated the body of Moses? Would he have somehow possessed it and made it move? Why Moses' body? Nobody knows why. We just know that Michael and Lucifer fought over Moses' body. Wow. But watch this. Michael dared not bring an accusation against him, a reviling accusation, but said, and this is important to all of us, the Lord rebuke you. Christian, can I tell you something real fast? Those of you who were brought up in Pentecostal leaning uh, theology, be very careful. Very careful. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you're to go around rebuking demons. The Lord, you are to call upon the Lord to rebuke those demons. See, well, I've got all the power. Listen, you ain't got nothing that God, listen, God's got to give it to you. But if, if Michael the archangel said to Lucifer, the Lord rebuke you, we better tread lightly. People walking around, I'm going to cast this out and I'm going to cast that out. You know what? Be careful. That is, that, whatever you and I do that's good, is by the power of God and because of his mercy, goodness, and grace. We just need to remember that. We have nine minutes to end this, right? Can you do it? Can we do it? And we'll make it, it'll be a world's record if we get to verse 14. We've never done that here. Maybe people are praying. I don't know. We'll see. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Friends, listen. Book of Hebrews is quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. A thousand years between these two books. What's going on here? The author of Hebrews knows, because he must be Hebrew enough, that Psalm 2, verse 7 is regarding Jesus Christ. Listen, everyone. Whoever the author is of the book of Hebrews in your Bible knows that Jesus is being spoken of in Psalm 2, verse 7. That's a mic drop. That is an earth shaker. Nobody on earth can claim such authenticity. Confucius, can't happen. Buddha, no way. Muhammad, nothing. There's nothing there. No previous writings announcing who you are. But Jesus. Second Samuel 7, 13 and 14. Second Samuel 7, 13 and 14. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? I will be his father and he shall be my son. And then a third argument, verses 6 to 12 is this. Having the best is having the incarnate omniscience. The omniscience of God. That Jesus Christ, the incarnate, is the all-knowing God. Look at verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn, this is Christ, first fruits, firstborn. Meaning, this one that's born will never die. That's what that means. Into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. How many of you know uh, Jehovah Witness friends? You have Jeho- Je- Jehovah Witness friends? That's it? You need to have more friends. <laughs> if you have a Jehovah Witness friend, they don't like this verse I just read. 
Because they say that Jesus is an angel. But the Bible says, and look at this, verse 6, quoting the Old Testament, let all the angels of God worship him. Write down in your margins, that's Psalm 97, verse 7, about Jesus Christ. That's why you should have faith in Jesus Christ. This is no accident. Look at verse 7. And of the angels, he says, quote, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, close quote. That's Psalm 104, verse 4. Psalm 104. Again, a thousand years before the Hebrew writer wrote this. Psalm 104, verse 4 says, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. People, do you get, am, am I, am I the one? Do you get this? Are you excited about this? Am I, maybe I'm a... Do you, listen, you, there's, I just want to plead with you. If you have doubts as to who Jesus is, please listen. You don't need to doubt anymore. You just have to apply wisdom, logic, knowledge, understanding, and history. In fact, a thousand years before the author of Hebrews wrote the book, this, these quotations were written down and every Jew would read them in synagogue. Okay, they had them. And then comes along the author of Hebrews and points out, understanding it's all about Jesus. It's absolutely awesome. Look at verse 7. Or we already read verse 7. That's Psalm 104, verse 4 correlates that. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 is the quotation of Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 answers to Psalm 45, verse 7. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, that'll keep you up all night figuring that one out. That's God saying God to another entity. Well, who is that? You know his name, Jesus. Has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. It's a, rela- it's a relationship between deity and the companions being us, the redeemed. Verse 10, we're almost done. Verse 10, Psalm 102, verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Remarkable. Verse 11 is answered in Psalm 102, verse 26. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Speaking about the universe and the stars. Verse 12 is answered in Psalm 102, verse 26, the latter end of the verse. Like a cloak, you will change them and they will be changed. Man, I wish we had time to talk about that. God is going to change this world, the universe. Listen, oh, you know how we've always read, you know when the Bible says that he's going to destroy, the, 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 everything's going to melt with fervent heat, right? Uh, the heavens are going to re- recede like a scroll. It's all going to be destroyed. Yes, it's true. It's, ju- it's just as true as it was true when God said, Noah, get in the boat. I'm going to destroy the earth. Listen to me, because this is very fun. Because you've read portions of scripture where it says that the earth will last forever. And then you read verses where he's going to destroy it. Have you ever struggled with that? You don't need to struggle with that. Listen, the earth God made and the universe that is 
when he destroys it, doesn't Peter tell us he's going to destroy it with fire, not water? He says it's not going to be with water next time. It's going to be with fire. Remember how God destroyed the world that was with water? How'd he do it? He flooded it. He scrubbed the earth with water, right? When Christ judges the earth in fire, he's going to scrub the earth in fire and he's going to scrub Jupiter with fire. He's going to scrub the moon. He's going to scrub Pleiades. He's going to scrub the galaxies with fire. He's going to, scr- he's going to clean it, purge it. This earth that you're on right now, exactly as the Bible says, is going to last forever. It's going to last forever. He's going to scrub it with fire. Just like he said, I'm going to destroy the earth, Noah. Well, the same earth that Noah stepped on all that time later, it was the same earth that had been judged by water. Do you hear me? This is remarkable. You think about it. Isn't that exactly how our God is? Doesn't he take broken stuff and redeem them? Now, when you approach scripture that way, you'll understand the judgment of God with water, the judgment of God with fire. Now it makes sense when you read all these passages about the earth lasting forever. He's going to scrub the universe. He's going to make it all new. Behold, he makes all things new. It's going to be amazing. Oh, we have to end. I don't want to end. We're going to push on for three minutes. Verse 12, latter end of verse 12, is answers to Psalm 102, verse 27. But you are the same, and your years will have no end, speaking of Christ. And then the fourth argument is verses 13 to 14. Having the best is the fact that he, the incarnate Christ Jesus, he's the incarnate benevolence. He is the, he is the incarnate giver. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? That's angels. Listen, everyone. Sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Listen, don't raise your hand, but are you a born again believer in Jesus? According to the book of Hebrews, angels minister to you in this life. How do they do it? They probably keep us from stepping off of cliffs. And I don't know what they do. Imagine, listen, if it's, if it's not anything, I don't know, you could tell some story. I remember going through an intersection and the car didn't, you know, I don't know what the story is. I remember almost crashing a plane one time and it had to be, it had to be an angel that saved me. I was, doesn't matter, back in the 1880s, I was flying this little airplane and it was crazy. I got my feet on the ground and I, had, I just thought an angel just saved me. But be that as it may, what about this? What, what, what can we speculate? How does an angel minister to you, the, the heir of salvation, every day of our lives until we're in heaven? They won't need to minister to us when we're in heaven. It's now. The heirs of salvation. We're going to inherit salvation, right? So they minister to us. And what I think is what they keep from us. You know how the moon keeps stuff from the earth? You ever looked at the moon? You ever wonder why it's so beat up? It's because junk hits it. That junk hits the moon instead of your backyard. Did you know that? The the moon is like like your appendix or something over there. It's all this trash getting stuck to it. 
Wait, is that the right body part? <laughs> Probably not. Was that the right body part, Dan? I'm looking at you. Something. What, what are angels keeping from us in the way of danger? What, what is, what's my angel fighting? Right? When you go to pray, when you go to walk and pray out in front of an abortion clinic and when you go to feed the homeless or minister in some way, shape, or form, or go to the hospital for a friend that's dying, and you're going to go give them the gospel, what kind of, what kind of entities in the heavenly realm come against you? And you don't even know it. But your angel there, like the moon, has taken the hit. <laughs> I, wonder if I'm, I wonder what our angels are going to look like when we get to heaven. We're standing there. Wow, hey, we're all high-fiving each other. Woo! And you see that, what are those guys over there? Those are our angels. Are my angels over there? Yeah, you should go meet them. You should meet them. I wonder, I wonder if there's going to be angels. I hope, anyway, my angel is just all beat up. He's got scars. He's, wouldn't it be great if he's just like leaning on the sword and he's just like, hey, Jack. Man. Dude, you almost killed me. Wouldn't it be great? I don't want to show up and my angels, they're all kind of wimpy-like because he didn't have to do anything because I didn't do anything. It's like, oh, good, I'm glad you didn't do much in this world. I didn't want to get in any fights or anything. I want my angel all dented up. I want his scarred up. Isn't it amazing that not only Jesus Christ paid for your salvation at the cross, And not only is the Holy Spirit residing in you as a believer that causes your walk to happen every day, but God is so benevolent that he's dispatched angels to protect us along the way. And I'm convinced that that they're, they're mighty entities. They're powerful things. That's how we see them in scripture. And, um, God, God is very, very good to us. Jesus Christ is the absolute best, better than angels. Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord God Almighty. Awesome God that you are. Powerful God. Omnipotent God. Omniscient God. All benevolent God. And Father, we worship you. We we worship you now. Church, let's stand as we worship him in closing. Listen, he is listening. The angels are looking on. All of you who are born again believers the very servants of the Most High God, His flaming fire, agents to your inheritance is watching guard. And they can't do what you're about to do. They worship God. We know that from Scripture. But they can't worship God knowing what it's like to be redeemed. Jesus didn't die on the cross for angels. He died for you. Trust Him with all of your heart. He's worthy of your worship and praise. Let's bless him for his goodness now in Jesus' name.